Welcome to the APAS Educational Group Podcast with host Andrew Pass, founder and CEO of APAS. Hi, Mona. Welcome to the APAS Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Mona Meyer, why don't you take a minute and um, explain your background? Because I know what it is, but certainly our, our listeners may not. Sure. Well, I uh, have been an instructional designer in the education arena for gosh, scarily over 20 years now, almost 25, I think. Uh, I started out as a computer science major, so I came to online education from the technology route and uh, ultimately tried just about every job I could have with a computer science degree and uh, decided that I didn't like programming and I really wanted to do something else and... I had had a job working for Justin's Learning Corporation uh, as a database administrator and uh, was working on a project that involved online education. Well, not online at the time. It was CD-ROM, so multimedia education, I guess you should say. And I really uh, met a lot of very interesting people in that position, and I saw what they did, and I thought, wow, I think I might like doing this. And so I talked to them about it, and it turns out that many of them had a degree in educational technology from San Diego State University. So I decided, well, I'll try that. So I got my master's degree in educational technology and uh, was ultimately hired by Justin's Learning Corporation as an instructional designer at the time while I was pursuing my degree. And uh, I basically never looked back. I've loved it ever since. I've worked for uh, well, I worked for Justin's, which was ultimately uh, acquired by McGraw-Hill New Media. I worked there for a little over seven years. I also worked in the higher education uh, online learning arena for the Savannah College of Art and Design for quite a long time, uh, close to eight years. Those are my two longest stints, but have worked doing... Um, mostly online educational development for a variety of different companies, mainly in the education arena, though also some corporate as well. So, Mona, when you say educational technology, what precisely does that mean? Technology-mediated education in some way. So that can be anything from using a computer in a face-to-face classroom environment for some purpose to all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is basically delivering the majority of the instruction online through web-based education. What kinds of things do you learn in a master's degree on that? It's funny. The the master's degree at San Diego State, I think it was kind of a misnomer because we actually didn't focus mostly on technology. We focused mostly on the science of education and learning how to look at an educational challenge and develop a solution system to meet the needs of that challenge. And technology may or may not have been a recommended part of the solution system. It just depended on the particular needs. But the focus was really on identifying the gap, what the gap between the current behavior or knowledge and the desired behavior or knowledge. So when you talk about, I believe you use the term solution system. Yes. What does that mean? 
Well, it means whatever needs to be done to achieve the desired results. A lot of companies will automatically turn to training as the solution um, to their problem. If, for example, their uh, customer service representatives are getting poor reviews. Let's use that as an example. Customers are reporting that the customer service representatives are not helping them. So a lot of companies will look at that situation and think, oh, well, we need to train the customer service representatives. But what our program focused on was that, yes, training may be um, helpful, but in most cases, it's just part of a solution system that you should put in place. A lot of other things can be at work, potentially the customer service reps aren't properly motivated to do a good job. So we looked a lot at environment in which the uh, representatives worked and what those motivating factors might or might not be. There might be some way that the actual corporation is organized that was not the most efficient. So there were lots of different things that an instructional designer would suggest to whoever the client is to improve whatever situation they were trying to improve was, and, and training was often part of that solution, but not always. So was your program more geared towards corporate training than K-12 education? Not necessarily. I mean, the same principles really can't be applied to the education arena. I mean, obviously in education, education is the number one thing that you're throwing at the quote-unquote problem. We did also focus on the education arena. It was kind of in our department, some of the professors tended to focus more on the corporate side and some tend to focus more on the education side. And I did take more classes probably with those who were focused on education because that was, you know, where my real interests lie. And I wanted to be in, in K through 12 at the time, education. Basically though, the same principles apply. You know, you look at student learning outcomes and by whatever metric those are being measured by often by standardized tests, which we can get into a whole discourse on whether or not that's the best way to measure learning, for better or worse, the way a lot of educational institutions do measure things. And then, you know, you can look at the way the education is being presented. Teacher retraining is, a, is something that we often look at to train teachers sort of walk the balance between more individualized instruction for one-on-one -on -one teaching with, you know, the realities of the environment, which usually cause them to come up with what they think is the best plan for a classroom of 30 students. So again, just looking at all of those challenges and ways that the instruction might be changed, the way the instruction, application of the instruction might be changed. Mona, um, what exactly does it mean to be an instructional designer? It means that you are a person who is trained in the design, delivery, and implementation of instructional materials. So you may or may not be a content expert, quote-unquote, in whatever subject area it is that your training. So the big difference, one one of the easiest ways to look at it is from the point of view of higher education. The difference between K-12 education and higher education, when teachers 
are training to be K through 12 educators, they have to take quite a few, um, well, they have to take a, a year to two years of getting their um, credential to actually teach. And those classes are focused on the art of teaching, not necessarily on mathematics or social studies or uh, English language arts. Uh, in higher education, the model in the United States is very different. We tend to hire experts in the field or experts in the content area to be professors of higher education. And those people may or may not, depending on their personal preferences, have had any instruction in the art of teaching. So what instructional designers add to the mix in higher education is we bring people who have studied the art of teaching together with the professors who are experts in the subject area to create the best learning experience for students in higher education. This is very interesting to me. So, first of all, can you explain what you mean by learning experience? I don't mean to be asking a silly question, but I think that term could be unpacked a little bit. Sure. Basically, the way the audience for the learning, which is typically the student, receives the material. So, you know, you could argue that reading a book on the biology of evolution, for example, is one way to teach. Instructional designers look at the way the material is being presented to the students, and a lot of that has to do with the interaction, the back and forth between the presenter of the information and the receiver of the information, uh, and come up with recommendations for what the best way to do that is, and by best we mean will result in the most transfer of knowledge from those who know to those who don't. Can you give some examples of what the best way of learning is? Sure. I mean, that's kind of a loaded question because one of the things that instructional designers are taught is that every learner is different. They, people have different learning styles. Some people tend to, and you probably have come into contact with the person who gets the new appliance and reads the manual from beginning to end before ever turning it on versus the person who just plugs in and turns it on and fiddles with stuff and, you know, might electrocute him or herself. <laughs> but two very different types of learners, right? So uh, the instructional designer has to, you know, depend on the situation. You know, if you're trying to train one person, it's a different than if you're trying to teach or train a classroom full of people who have different types of learning experiences. Typically, the latter is the situation that you're dealing with. You may have an entire classroom full of people. So the approach that I would consider to be best would be an approach that offers something for every type of learner. So this is often more costly and time-consuming to develop because you don't want to present the information in only a single way and thereby reach only a small subset with the maximum efficiency. You want to kind of repackage the content in multiple different ways so that it is equally accessible by the different types of learners in the environment. What so, do you mean repackage? Example, so there might be some part of the course or experience where students are reading text. There might be some parts where they are watching videos of procedures 
being performed by an expert. There might be other parts where they're listening to uh, an audio presentation over, for example, an animated diagram of what is being presented. These are all, each of these different ways of information presentation reaches a different type of learner. Um, and then, you know, really critical uh, is the interaction, you know, that students have the opportunity to indicate at various points of the learning process through one mechanism or another whether or not they have learned the material. So we emphasize chunking information into digestible chunks and then actually having the learners take either a small quiz or have an actual one-on-one -on -one personal interaction with the instructor or have a collaborative inter collaborative interaction with one another, depending on the learning objective that is being addressed. But the point is that there are multiple check-ins, so the learner is not just passively receiving the information, they are also actively engaging with it and, through this engagement, demonstrating their mastery. So are you saying that this can be done in both face-to-face -face learning and online learning, digital learning? What do you think of this notion of adaptive learning that's becoming more and more common today using online platforms? Yeah, I think it's incredibly powerful. Um, the, the focus of the company where I'm working now, so uh, I am pretty familiar with it, and it is a very, very powerful um, way of doing things, mainly because... An individual person, a teacher, interacts with, you know, potentially hundreds of students throughout his or her career and records in their memory, you know, certain aspects of the learners. But the human brain is uh, sadly uh, limited in its computing power because of the uh, capacity of memory and so forth. But what adaptive learning and digital intervention brings to this scenario is that the computer can remember everything forever. <laughs> so if a smart enough person designs the adaptivity, which means, you know, we're capturing, in an adaptive system, you're capturing user responses to various cues. And, you know, that may or may not be whether the user answered correctly. It might be how many different places the user looked to find their information. It might be which wrong answer they chose first. All of this is very, very useful information for later data analytics where um, we can look at and crunch that data in all kinds of different ways to basically ascertain the effectiveness of the teaching method and then make adjustments accordingly. You can also, for individual students, provide their next learning experience based upon their responses to the prior learning experience. Again, this is very typical of what a teacher would do in a face-to-face -face environment. A good teacher would, you know, not necessarily give the same exact assignment to every single student in his or her class. They might realize that certain students in the class are ready for more advanced material and certain others need some remediation. And, uh, but of course, their ability to do that in the six-hour school day with five classes or whatever they're teaching is somewhat limited. What the adaptive digital experience 
provides is that every single user can get an individualized learning path, potentially based upon their responses to, to prior learning experiences. So let me, I have two questions that I want to ask. The first is that even if somebody is dominantly a auditory learner, does not mean that we shouldn't also challenge the student to learn visually at times. And even if the student thinking about Howard Gardner's multiple intelligences is a dominant intrapersonal thinker, doesn't mean that we shouldn't also challenge this individual to think logically or spatially at times. Right. I would agree with that largely because of the importance of uh, the real world uh, aspect to teaching and training. You know, in the real world, information isn't presented in nice little chunks that are our preferred way of learning. The world presents information in lots of different ways, and in order to be successful in the world, every learner has to be able to uh, digest information in, in whatever way it's presented. So does an adaptive learning tool actually have the ability to keep track of individual students and know that it's time to challenge the students to think in a different, with a different intelligence or learn with a different learning style? Well, it certainly can be. I mean, any adaptive system is only as smart as the people who designed it, right? So someone had to have accounted for that in the design of the adaptive system before they rolled it out. But it certainly has the capability of saying, hey, we've been presenting information in this way for this student for X number of iterations. You know, the person who designed me says, now it's time to change up. <laughs> So I'm going to present information in a different mode or a different format at this time. So, yeah, it certainly does. But again, there, I'm not a believer in artificial intelligence in the sense that the system taught itself that necessarily. Someone designed that into the system. Interesting. Um, and my second question is, this whole thing scares me a little bit. Okay, why? Because... I've been doing a lot of thinking on the importance of teachers. And if we can just plop students down in front, of a, in front of a computer and have them learn, I have my own answers to this. But I'm curious from your perspective, are teachers necessary now? And will, be the, will they be necessary in the future? Well, that is... A really good question. I think the role of the teacher, number one, let me say that I'll be the first person to admit that there is absolutely no substitute for a one-on-one person-to-person interaction between a good teacher and a willing student. You know, that's the best of all worlds, right? The teacher is going to look at the student's individual needs and create instructional experiences that are personally tailored to this student and react in all the subtle human ways that human beings can from one person to another. 
that's an untenable model for educating the world. We can't, we no longer live in a situation where we have the capability of having mentor-mentee one-on-one relationships for every single person who needs to learn. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, that teachers absolutely are extremely important. What happens, though, is that the reality of the world and the scale at which we are attempting to train people has sort of required this technological intervention because we don't live in a world where it's practical for one student to be taught by one teacher. So I think as time goes on and as adaptive systems become better and better, more and more teachers will be moving away from the actual implementation of the teaching to the design of the teaching. And I think more and more teachers will become designers of these systems and designers of the instructional materials that are fed into these systems. So that's why I don't think there will ever be a lack of a need for teachers. I think over time, their role will be increasingly on the design of instruction and less on the delivery. That's my personal opinion. Well, I'm really intrigued from what you've said to ask you this question. And are you working with adaptive learning every day? What exactly are you doing now? I am, yeah, I am working with adaptive learning every day, and I'm actually not designing instruction at the moment. I am the curriculum data manager, so I am in charge of identifying the metadata for every learning activity that's developed that will ultimately allow the adaptive systems to deliver the content. So basically, I look at a piece of learning, a little activity, and I try to think of every possible way a person might want to search for that activity, or every possible way an adaptive system might want to, every possible thing that an adaptive system might want to know about that piece of instruction in order to facilitate its delivery to students. So I'm dealing with a lot of of learning objectives and the relationships between learning objectives, which one is a necessary predecessor to the next, for example, so that the system would know that if a student has mastered this particular learning objective, it's time to move on to this next one and which pieces of instruction should be presented in order to make that the best experience for that student. So yeah, that's that's what I do. I'm all about data these days. Sounds great. Capturing, capturing, um, you know, the, the keywords that you might want to search for, the relationships between the learning objectives, uh, the various different things that different audiences might want to know about the piece of instruction. So like the little short description that might come up if you roll over that, that would tell a, you know, a real person user whether they would want to view it or not. So it's kind of the confluence of, of data for people versus data for technology. So interesting. Mona, I've been asking a lot of questions, and we've been talking for almost a half hour. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you feel would be relevant to bring forward in this discussion? Hmm. That's a good question. I 
question. I mean, you said in, in your email um, that we'd be talking about what makes a good course designer, what makes a good instructional designer, and I thought a lot about that, and I think the answer really, you know, for the for 21st century instruction, which is what we're dealing with now, uh, when I'm looking for someone to hire, I am always looking for someone who can do both, who can be an incredibly big picture thinker and think about how all of the individual elements of the instruction are related one to another. But that same person really needs to be able to do what I've just described, you know, define the individual pieces of data with which a an intelligent learning system or a very well-skilled teacher could look and search and decide whether or not that material is the most relevant for the audience at hand. So it's really someone who can, you know, is comfortable in the entire co continuum from the very big picture to the very uh, minutia <laughs> of detail. So interesting, which are two things that I think we've covered in this conversation. As you said, we've talked about the big picture and we've talked about the minutia. And those two things yeah. need to come together for the highest quality course. Yeah, I, I firmly believe that. And, you know, it's rare to find that in, in a single person, I think. But, you know, building a team with thinkers along that entire spectrum, I think, is the key to, to success in developing instruction for the 21st century learner. I'm nodding my head in agreement, Mona. Um, I feel like this last half hour for me has been really instructional. Um, no pun intended. I, you really helped me think about constructing adaptive learning in a more thoughtful way. And let me say thank you very much. I really appreciate you joining me for this podcast um, and enabling all of the APAS Educational Group listeners to benefit from both your experience and your insights. So thank you and thank you to our audience for joining us and listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening to this APAS podcast. APAS Educational Group partners with organizations to develop customized content. Our more than 1,100 associates include writers, editors, subject matter experts, instructional designers, artists, and production team members. APAS develops courses, lesson plans, assessment items, textbooks, passages, learning objects, and more. When we partner with an organization, our goal is to bring our clients' visions to life. We take your specifications and objectives, make them our own, and become your back office content development center.